And I want you to take your Bibles with me this morning, and we're going to turn to Proverbs chapter 29, and we'll look at verse 18. Proverbs 29 and verse number 18. Does the name Edward Kimball ring a bell for anybody? Edward Kimball. Some of you know who that is. Uh, how about J. Wilbur Chapman? Billy Sunday. Okay. Billy Graham? Okay. It was the year 1858 in the city of Boston. Edward Kimball was a young Sunday school teacher who made it a habit to personally give each student in his class an opportunity to accept Christ as their Savior. He was concerned about one of his students who worked in a shoe store. One day, Kimball visited the young man at the shoe store where he found him in the back stocking shelves, and he led him to Christ. D.L. Moody was that shoe store clerk. He was a little orphan with no education, but he, came, he became one of the greatest evangelists this world has ever known. And at the end of his life, Moody stated, The world has yet to see what God could do with a man who is completely sold out for him. A faithful Sunday school teacher, Edward Kimball, helped D.L. Moody lead him to Christ. J. Wilbur Chapman was converted at a D.L. Moody evangelistic meeting. Billy Sunday was converted at a J. Wilbur Chapman meeting. Mordecai Ham was converted at a Billy Sunday meeting. And Billy Graham was converted at a Mordecai Ham meeting. It's interesting how that succession went, right? When I hear about these men and their lives, I get a vision for what God can do with a faithful Sunday school teacher. So many times we put the emphasis on the large crusade and the big evangelistic meeting, the large church. Some of the greatest things that God has done in this world have been, been done with the insignificant. They have been done through small churches. It has been done through a Sunday school teacher. But the consistent aspect of all of this is that these people were faithful servants of God. They gave to God what they had. May God use you this year in a greater way. May God help us to have a greater vision for what God can do. Proverbs 29, 18, if you would, let's stand for the reading of God's word. I know it's just one verse, but out of respect of God's holy word, let's stand and read this one verse out loud together, if you would. Proverbs 29 and verse number 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would help me this morning to faithfully preach what you've laid on my heart. God, I believe that this message is your message and that you are, are going to do something in our midst. It may not be every one of us that gets to lead the next Billy Sunday or D.L. Moody to the Lord, but there might be someone in here who is going to be impactful in a great way. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, 
to not minimize our contribution, to not think of ourselves as not important or, not, or, or unnecessary. Although, Lord, we're expendable. We, you don't have to use us. We understand that, Lord. But you want to use us. And so help us to not stand in the way, help us to not minimize, help us to not have little faith, but may we have great faith, great expectancy, and that we would have a heart to do your will, to see the world the way that you see it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please be seated. We see that word there in verse number 18, the word vision, that kind of jumps out. That's the kind of the central focus of this verse. The word vision is commonly used of the revelation of God's word and God's will made to prophets. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, we see the word vision used here. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Nahum 1.1. The burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. A vision in, I believe, the way it's being used here in Proverbs, a vision is simply seeing from God's view. Seeing from God's view. What is God's will? What does God want for our life? Have you ever asked that question? What does God want for my life? Do you believe that God wants to do something through you? You might be saying, Pastor, I would never think so proud. I would never have that thought that God would use me. But my friend, God wants to use people. God does use people people. And you don't have to have great ability. You don't have to be an eloquent speaker. You don't have to have uh, an education. You don't have to have much. That doesn't mean God cannot use you. In fact, that is probably an indication that God will use you in a great way. Because God uses that which is not uh, to the world something that is uh, you know, profound and exciting and somebody that who is, has great ability. God wants to be magnified and glorified, and he does it best through the, that which is least. And so uh, do not limit what God could do through you. When we stop see- seeing through God's eyes and start doing what we want instead, We become like the Israelites. They rejected God's word. They rejected God's prophets. Hosea 4, verse 6, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge. Isaiah mourns in the same words. Isaiah 6, 3, Therefore my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. What does that mean? They didn't have the prophets? No. They didn't have God's word? They didn't have the Torah, the law? No. They rejected what God had told them to do. And my friend, we can be in the same boat today. We have God's word. We have the word of God preached. You can can go to just about every community in this country and hear the word of God preached faithfully in a local church. But yet there are so many believers today that have rejected God's word. They might be in church. They might be here but they are not 
seeing what God wants them to see. They don't see the world the way that God sees the world. And my friend, the truth, truth be told, all of us go through times where we do not get God's vision. We get angry with people. We get frustrated. We turn our back on God's will. We begin to live for self. We begin to live and lead double lives. And we begin to to look one way at church and then live another way uh, Monday through Friday. But my friend, it is time, it is time that we get back to God's view and get back to God's vision. I heard a story about a little boy. His parents weren't at church that service for some reason he came back home and he said mom and dad they're gonna have a revival service at the church and I, what is a revival service so they called down to the church and talked to the pastor and they found out it was a revival service but you know that's what we need if you have revival you get back to the word of god you will have revival We need to get back to seeing the way that God sees. His heart is broken over the lost. His heart is broken. I think of Matthew 9, 36. Jesus, when he saw the multitudes, all of those that were following him, the multitudes, thousands of people, he was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. You think about the, uh, the Pharisees. The religious teachers. They were filling people with knowledge and information, but they were not giving them God, if you would. And they were religious the multitudes who followed him, he was compassionate on them because they, they fainted. They were filled with labor and religious work. And they were scattered abroad. And he compares them to sheep. He says, as sheep having no shepherd, then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors into his harvest. Jesus looks at the world today and he sees the world filled with religion. The world is filled with, uh, with religion, whether it is Christian religion or Islamic religion or other religion, or maybe it's the religion of humanism and secularism, as we've been talking about in our Sunday school. And the world is steeped in worshiping something, but they're not worshiping God, and they are lost, and they are fainting, and they are dying without help and without hope, and they are going to a godless eternity in hell. And Jesus looks on the world, and he says, oh, that they would just hear the truth, and that they would that, that somebody that somebody would listen to me and would go and tell them how to be saved from their sins. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. So that is true for the unbelievers, those that are lost, but it is also true for the saved. We have, we have education How many Christians do you know that have at least had some Bible college or they've been discipled, they've been coming to church, they've been trained, they've heard the word, they've maybe even read the Bible. And they're filled with knowledge, but they reject the truth. It seems that some of the unhappiest people I've met, and I talked to my my dad about this yesterday, how that, although many at that funeral, uh, the, the, the wedding yesterday 
were, were unsaved, but they acted better than some of the weddings I've been to with saved people. Isn't that interesting? Uh, there's a lot of people that profess to be saved, but they're not living it, and they're unhappy. Whether it's that they're lost and under conviction, or they're saved and backslidden. And I see that some of the happiest people I've met are Christians who know what God wants them to do, but they stopped doing it. Is that you today? You know what God wants to do. You've, you've, you have a vision, or you at least knew what God wanted you knew God's will. You might be saying, well, pastor, how do I know God's will? Well, well verse number 19, or verse 18 there says, where there is no vision, the people perish. So if you stop seeing God's way and God's will, there's going to be uh, chastisement in your life. There will be spirit, uh, people will become spiritually dead. That's what he's talking about. They'll perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Now, how do you find God's will? How do you get God's vision? You just start by keeping the law. And not in a self-righteous way. But you follow after the truth of God's word and say, by God's grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to try to live the way that God wants me to live. And, and when you do that, the byproduct is that you'll find joy. When you follow after God and His way and do it out of a heart of sincerity and you just take the word and you say, Lord, help me to live this out. Help me to do what this is saying. And you embrace God's word. You'll find joy. He that keeps the law, happy is he. Those who know God's will and do God's will are satisfied and joyful Christians. So what is God's will for you? What does God want for your life? Have you asked that question? What does God want for me? What does He want to do for me? What does He want for my life? What is God's vision for, for you? How about for our church? Are we fulfilling God's vision? We saw Jesus' vision, that of the lost souls that He saw that were in religion, that were lost. And he tells us to, in John 4, 35, to lift up our eyes, look on the fields, they're white unto harvest. We see God's vision. I, now first I want to just say I was moved by that song that we heard earlier. Behold our God. Thought about that. Took me back to Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah writes, when King Uzziah died, when the king died, then he had a vision of God. He says, then I saw the Lord. Um, Isaiah 6, 1. I, also, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Now, we're talking a lot about seeing God's view, but I think first we need to see God. Okay? If we see our great God, and we behold our God, I believe it will be so much easier and it will be more natural. It will be more biblical for us to then get God's vision. Because when we see how great God is and how loving God is and how holy God is, 
then it'll move us with a heart of compassion like Jesus to tell the loss of impending judgment, but that a loving God sent his son Jesus to die for their sins. But I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy. Can you say that with me today? Holy, holy, holy. That's what they're saying in heaven. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Hey, you know, Satan has done his work in this world, hasn't he? He's done what he could to pervert the perfect creation of God, to bring death and destruction and depravity and wickedness into this world. And we haven't done so bad in helping the devil, have we? So many in this world have turned their back on God. And this world, yet although Satan has done his work, this world is still God's domain. And he will one day sit on that throne and he will be worshipped where every knee will bow Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But he says in verse 4, The whole earth is full of his glory, and the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people, a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When we get a good view of God, guess what? We get a much better view of ourselves. (laughs) And we also get a a good view of what God wants to do in this world. This is God's world. It's his domain. We heard that song. Behold our God seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Behold our king. Nothing can compare. Come, let us adore him. So many are afraid today to worship God, and to be outspoken for their love for Jesus. And yet, uh, we go to workplaces where people are not ashamed to, uh, to curse the name of God and to uh, say filthy things about our Savior. May we be filled with power and boldness by the Holy Spirit to be outspoken for our love for God and for uh, the fact that He is the Lord of all the world. And guess what? All of us are going to give an account to him someday. All of us will. All of us will. There's no escaping. Whether it's the great white throne judgment or when we get to, as a believer, get to that judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, where he will look at our works. He will look at, look at our works and praise God, you're there, hopefully, by God's grace that you as a believer, if you die and you go to be with the Lord, or if we go up in the rapture, which I know many are looking forward to, but whether it's through death or through the rapture, I pray that you're at the judgment seat of Christ because that's the judgment for the believer. But we're going to give an account somehow, some way. And for the lost, they will face the great white throne judgment where the only verdict handed down from there will be, depart from me, depart from me. Not that God doesn't love them, it's not that Jesus didn't die for them. I believe that we can, uh, we can uh, 
uh, prove from scriptures that Jesus died for all and that God loves all. But some have rejected him. But get a good view of God. Get a great view. And, and get a big view of God. And get a big vision for what God wants to do through your life and through our church. Jesus has left us here to do his work. He says, look, look, look. How do we get a vision? We need to do what Jesus said. Look under the fields. Look. And so many are, are, are saying, well, I don't want to look because then I know I'll be convicted by what I see. I'll be moved to do something about it. No, my friend, let's do what Jesus said. He says, I say unto you, lift up your eyes. John 4, 35. Lift up your eyes. Think of Charles Spurgeon. Uh, he grew up in a pastor's home. His grandfather was a pastor in England. And, uh, but yet he was lost. Charles Spurgeon, I believe he was about 15 years of age or so. Uh, he had read the Pilgrim's Progress through several times. It became his favorite book. He read it over 100 times. But he gets uh, on his way to church one Sunday. I believe it was a very, very snowy day. Might have been December, January. And uh, he's on his way to church as a teenage young man, going to his father's church. And he cannot make it because of the snow, because of the, the blizzard conditions. And so he stops by another church, which sometimes that happens. We've had people come to our church because their church canceled service. Or maybe they couldn't get to their church. But in this case, this young man, he comes in and he is fixated on the preaching. And guess what? The pastor of that church couldn't make it because it was so bad. But a deacon got up and preached the word of God. And he said, look, look unto me, uh, quoting scripture and, uh, and saying, this is Jesus saying, look unto me. And so many are uh, looking to religion. So many are looking to the church. They're looking to the priest or pastor or pope or whatever. They're looking at all of the things that they should not be looking at. When Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. And so may Jesus be exalted. And it's so important that we look to Christ and, 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 and then follow his commandment in John 4, 35, that we lift up our eyes and then we look into the fields after we get a view of God, after we see Jesus and we come to Christ and we, had, we come to the place where we know we need to be saved and we receive forgiveness, then we need to go with that message to the world. Like I heard recently uh, a beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. We've got the message. We've got the answer. Jesus left us here to do his work. We need to catch his vision. Amen? Sunday school teacher, you need to get a vision for your class. You might be saying, well, I want to have a Sunday school class. Well, praise the Lord. We want you to have a class. But you need to get a vision. Bus worker, you need to get a vision for your route. Little children getting saved and growing up to be soul winners. Missionaries and preachers. Maybe you'll have a D.L. Moody in your Sunday school or your bus route. Uh, maybe you'll have a uh, Mary Slesser or one of the other many, many ladies that uh, served God as missionaries, pastors' wives, school teachers, faithful people in church. It doesn't matter if you do it full-time or part-time. We're all involved in God's work, and I pray that you will get involved in God's work. But families, uh, getting saved, becoming active members of the church, get a vision for what God could do. You know, they say if you shoot for nothing, you probably could answer. You, you could probably finish with what I'm about to say. 
If you shoot at nothing, class, you will hit it every time. So we got to have a goal. And a goal that God would have. What does God want for you? Uh, nursery worker, you need to get a vision. You labor tirelessly at a thankless, unseen job. We don't say enough about the nursery workers around here, do we, the nursery workers? Amen? You're saying, well, I'm not going to say it, but, you know. You need to get a vision of those little babies growing up to be uh, the next generation of our church. I think so many reasons why we don't reach the next generation is that we don't have a vision for them. See, we look at the teenagers and we say, well, what are we going to do with these kids? Because it's a lot of work to work with teenagers. Amen? Brother Larry, amen? It's a lot of work. He's got, not only he's working with the teens of our church, he's got his own teenagers at home, which are half of the youth group. But, uh, well, you know, when we work with teens, man, it, it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of energy. That's why sometimes we relegate that job to the newest staff member, right? The youngest one. The one that's fresh out of Bible college. Wet behind the ears. Never raised a teenager, let alone never raised a child, probably. Sometimes we give them the, that job because, you know what? You know, we don't have the energy to do it. But you know what? I think we should put, as Brother Larry, we've talked about this, the best, the best should be working with the next generation. Amen? So take your job seriously, Sunday school teacher, bus worker, nursery worker. Do the best that you can so that we can reach another generation. Hey, it's important that we go and knock on doors, but if we're losing our teenagers, what is all of that about? we got to start right here at home, amen? Disciple our own, and then do that. But I'm going to tell you, those teenagers that you say, well, they're a lot of work, they're a lot of, you know, they, they take a lot of life out of us. But guess what? They have a lot of energy. And if that's directed in the right way, they can do a lot for the Lord, praise God. And I'm telling you right now, teenagers, they don't need to be entertained. They entertain themselves just fine, okay? And we can have fun with them. We do the Nerf Wars and we do all those types of things. But I think one of the greatest things that we can do is teach our children and our teenagers how to serve God. And they love to do it. So many times we got this whole thing reversed. We think we gotta, we gotta focus on them. We gotta put so much time into them and we gotta entertain them. We gotta keep them coming to church because, you know, they don't think church is interesting and, 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 and they need to be excited about it. And my friend, if they are seeing people reached with the gospel and they're out there on the bus routes knocking doors and they're seeing results and they're watching God do miracles in our church, they don't need a nerf war every single week, okay? Now, that doesn't mean I want to stop doing that because I enjoy the Nerf War myself. But um, the world may grow worse and worse. Many churches aren't too far behind. But we don't have to be like everybody else. We need to be the brightest spot in Milwaukee. We need to be different. Get that vision when you're out there knocking on doors, many times without results. You may say, well, I've never had anyone come to church because I reached them out soul winning. But I'm telling you right now, and we can correlate this, not saying I've kept records, but I can just say, uh, you know, anecdotally this morning, and many will attest to this, that when we go and knock on doors, 
we see visitors coming to church that were, they weren't the ones that we knocked on their door, but somehow, some way, we know it's God. God says, and you might say, well, well you know, why, how do you say that's God? I'm going to tell you right now, when, when God sees our faithfulness, when we exhibit our faithfulness, he says, you're being a good steward, and I'm going to bless that. It's true in more ways than just finances, okay? Stewardship of life, when we take the time that God gives us, we take the resources that God gives to us, and they are his, we are a steward of those things, and we use them for his work, guess what? God says, I'm going to bless that church because I can trust them. I can trust that they will take care of these converts. They will take care of these new Christians. So let's get a vision. Don't miss out on God's blessing. We need to stay faithful. Let's be God's lighthouse in the city where sinners are saved, where Christ is glorified, where Christians are edified, and the word of God is preached. What could be done if men and women of God would surrender the lives, their lives to God's vision. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eyes closed, we'll pray in just a moment. But I want to first say, if you are here this morning, you heard the message, I know it was not directed towards somebody that is lost, but this morning you don't know for sure that Jesus Christ is your personal Savior You might be coming to church, but you understand that from the Bible that you have to have a relationship with God. There needs to come a point where you confess your sin. You admit that you're a sinner. You believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior. And then you receive God's gift of salvation. And it's all done through uh, calling unto God. The Bible says that uh, if we uh, call upon Him, He will save us. The fact is, we're all sinners. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. But the next part of that verse says, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is a free gift. But you have to make it yours. That's why I said you need to receive salvation. Receive that gift. Have you ever done that before? Was there ever a time where you, you acknowledged that you were a sinner and you received forgiveness? You received the gift of forgiveness. It's not joining the church. It's not baptism. Biblically, those two things do not merit anything in the way of getting to heaven. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What does he mean by that? The fact that he died on the cross, he exchanged places with us. But we have a free will. And God says, you have to make it yours. You have to receive what Jesus did for you. Father, I pray that you would bless this time of invitation. I'd ask that you'd help us to catch a bigger vision. Help us to see you first. See how great you are. May we behold your glory. May we take a moment to turn off all of the things in our life that make noise, all of the distractions. May we get alone by ourselves and see you. Help us to behold your glory. And then help us, Lord, to get a vision for ourselves and our families and then for this world that you love so much. It's dying. Lost. 
So many broken lives. So many people without hope. Trying to, many are just trying to just get by by numbing the pain, but yet so many are taking their lives. They're ending it because they don't have the hope. It's not religion. God, I thank you so much for helping us to see the truth, to help us to take it to others. In Jesus' name I pray. Standing to your feet with every head bowed and every eye closed, let's come to the altar. Make a moment, uh, take a moment to make this personal. Make it personal for yourself. You come pray. Say, God help me. God help me to get a bigger vision. Help me to see.